Today we are going to be talking about the four cups of Passover. Uh, as you know, we have the Passover Seder tonight. And um, I want to give you a little background on what uh, you will experience if you're coming. And if you're not coming, hopefully uh, maybe next year you can sign up as well if we do it again. But um, uh, this is just filled with so much meaning that I think so many people miss because we, we often find that people um, around this season, we, we do Easter. And there's a reason that we do Easter. It's because Constantine, in about 325 A.D., didn't want to have any appearance of anything Jewish. He thought God had rejected the Jews, so we, we don't want to have anything to do with that. And he saw Passover, as well as the other festivals, as being something that was really more Jewish, when in fact the Bible says that it's the Lord's festival. And so what we did is we ignored what Scripture told us because of a cultural reason. And so we, I want to show you today that really God never intended for us to stop doing this, okay? And uh, give you some idea. Now, I think really what we are celebrating at Passover is the same thing that people celebrate when they do Easter. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But it's more than that, much more than that. And so let's bow our heads in prayer and we'll start uh, We're just asking God to, to guide us here this morning. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for this time to worship you and praise you and we're just grateful for uh, the gift of music and the gift of, of your Holy Spirit that just really moves, moves us through that. Father, I ask now as we look at your word more closely that you would allow us to know you better, that we would uh, come to understand you in ways that we never did before, that as we leave today, that as always we would be changed a little bit more because of your word and your spirit in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, to begin with here, I want to show you Exodus 6. And Exodus 6 is really where all of this begins as far as Passover meal goes. Because this is where the events begin to unroll. And God told us something. Look at this. It says, God said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, what's interesting about this, I'm going to stop right there because... If you look in your scriptures, prior to Exodus 6, 6, we see the word Lord, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D in your scriptures. We see that before. And yet God is saying, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And you think, what? Wait, it's there. Abraham called him Lord. So what is he saying here? Well, if you look at that word known, it's yada in the Hebrew. And it literally means to know in a more personal, intimate way. In other words, what he's saying is they really didn't get to experience me. I revealed myself as God Almighty to them, but in that personal way, I did not reveal myself to them. I made a covenant with them. I made promises. I spoke to them. I led them, but they didn't get to know me. And what I find interesting about this is what God is saying is, but by my name, the Lord, they did not know me, which means now I'm about to show you how to get to know me. And as you read in these very next verses, what we see is he outlines Passover. In other words, what he's saying is the Passover meal is one of the ways in which God would reveal himself to us so that you might yada him. Know him in a way that Abraham didn't get to see him. And so this is pretty exciting I mean, already we're being set up for something very large that's right around the corner. Now, 
As we look at this, it goes on to say, in verse 4, I also established my covenant with them. As I said, he even made a covenant. To give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, because he's going to let them know how to know them. It goes on. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. There are four I will statements here. And these are what the four cups of Passover are based around. These four I will statements that I have underlined here for you. Now there's really kind of almost a fifth I will statement in the very next verse, verse 8. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Now, sometimes this is called the cup of Elijah. They're really kind of connected with the first four, but sometimes you can almost separate it, and it's called the cup of Elijah. Now, I will talk a little bit about this one first before we hit these other four cups. Because the cup of Elijah is interesting because it gives in a very important aspect of timing here. So let's look at that first. And why do we have this cup of Elijah? Because the very last verse in the Old Testament says this, in Malachi 4, verse 5, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. You see, before the Lord comes, Elijah is supposed to come to prepare the way for him. Now, this is how the Old Testament ends. So the Jews knew that Elijah was supposed to come. Now today, there are some people who say Elijah has already come. It says so in the Bible. And they'll point us to Matthew. We see in Matthew chapter 17, the transfiguration, when Jesus took some of his disciples up on the mountain, he was transfigured before them. And two people appeared, Moses and Elijah. Okay? Well, this is what the disciples ask him then in Matthew 17. The disciples asked, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. Now, is that past tense or future tense? Future. Elijah will come. But, he says, I tell you, Elijah has already come. Past answer, future tense. Past tense. What we're seeing here is what is called a dual prophecy. And the Hebraic understanding of scriptures, which, by the way, Jesus was, we don't, they, they don't see prophecy as here's a prediction, there's a fulfillment. They see here's a prediction, and here's a partial fulfillment, a partial fulfillment, a partial fulfillment, a partial fulfillment, and then the real thing. Okay? Many different fulfillments of the same prophecy. In other words, Malachi 4, 5, when it says the, the Lord is going to send Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, Jesus is saying, yes, that's going to happen. Yes, indeed, it, he will come. But I tell you, in a partial fulfillment, he has already come. And it goes on to say, they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. 
So some say, see, Elijah already came. He was John the Baptist. No. You see, Elijah will come before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He came to usher in the way. He came, John the Baptist was in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah was on that mountain, but it wasn't the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's to come. And so keep in mind, that is what I believe we're seeing in Revelation chapter 11 when we see two witnesses that are coming again. I believe it'll be that same Moses and Elijah that will come before that great and dreadful day. I'll let you read that on your own in Revelation 11. But for now, I just want you to understand that there is a future event. And this is one of the reasons that during Passover that we also have a plate setting for Elijah. Okay? And I'll explain that a little bit more here um, as, well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit now here first. When we do Passover at our home a few years back, I told the kids that this place setting for Elijah, one of the things they do at the very end of the meal is you go out and you open the door and our kids would go out onto the porch and they'll yell, Elijah! 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 So all the neighbors think we're crazy. But, but anyway, either that or we're calling our dog. But I told them, I said, can you imagine someday you may go out there, Elijah, and there he's going to be. Can you imagine I mean, how that would make you feel? Because you know that if you see Elijah coming, that means the Lord is at his heels, right behind him. Can you imagine the urgency that you would feel if you actually saw that Elijah has come? Folks, I, I, I believe that someday we will feel that urgency. I think that we're going to recognize Elijah's here. So the very next year, I uh, talked to Pastor Dale Phillips. And I had Pastor Dale Phillips come to our house uh, without our kids knowing it. He parked up on the side of the road. He had his robe on. He had a staff in his hand. <laughs> and he was out in our driveway with the staff up in his hand with his arms upraised. And my, my kids went to the door. They opened up. He left! <laughs> and it gave us a wonderful opportunity to talk about their feelings of what, they, what was going through their mind. You see, guys, it is going to be exciting. And that's why we have this place setting. Tonight, if you're coming, you will see there will be an empty place setting. One for Elijah. Because I look forward to that day. Because he is going to usher in the coming of the Messiah the second time. Well, anyway, let's take a look at these four cups now then. These four cups from Exodus 6, starting at verse 6 and following. The four I will statements. The first one here is often called the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out from the yoke of the Egyptians. Okay? We're brought out from the yoke of slavery. We're sanctified by that. We have the cup of deliverance. I will free you from being slaves to them. Okay? God was going to pass judgment on their enemies. And in so doing, they would be freed. So it's called the cup of deliverance or sometimes the cup of judgment. The next one is the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption says that I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. God would, would uh, redeem them. And fourth one is called the cup of the kingdom. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And if it goes on, as you saw before, that he will live with them. So he's going to take you to be His people. He's going to take you to be with Him. That's why it's called the cup of the kingdom. Now, next question I want to ask is, how long were they supposed to celebrate Passover? 
Wherever. How long have we stopped? Why did we stop? Why did it only last till about 325 A.D.? Well, because Constantine decided, no, we don't want to do this. We don't want to look Jewish. But look what it says here in Exodus 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And I am, I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where they get the word Passover. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day that you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. These are my words. This is what God said, that this is to be a lasting ordinance. Some even say a lasting ordinance forever. It is a lasting ordinance, and you're going to see why it's a lasting ordinance as we move through these four cups even more. It's at this time, the very beginning of the Passover meal, the Seder meal, that they are going to then recount the Exodus story through chapters 11 and 12. And they recount what God did in delivering them and and the plagues of Egypt and all of those types of things. And when they get done with that, they will sing the first few parts of what's called the Hallel, which is Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And so they'll, they'll sing 113 through 114 or 15 at that time. So, one other thing before we really dive into this is I want you to understand that we're not talking about communion here. I think the church today has confused communion and Passover. Because if we go to churches today, often we hear people saying at communion, the pastor will lift up the bread or whatever he'll say, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks. He took the bread, he broke it. Okay, it says he took the cup, he gave thanks, he said, drink ye all of it, do this in remembrance of me. Now, what's interesting about that is they're reading from these passages in Matthew and Luke. But look what Jesus says about what they were celebrating. They weren't having communion, they were having Passover. It says in Luke twenty-two fifteen through 16, these are Jesus' words, I have eagerly desired to eat this communion with you. No, I have eagerly desired to eat Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Remember, I told you, you guys would be celebrating it someday. I will not eat it again. means he's going to eat it again. But not until it finds fulfillment. Isn't that exciting? And so, wouldn't it be nice to know what you're going to be doing now a little bit? That's one one small reason of why we do it today, to be prepared in, the, in that sense. But notice that this is not communion. Now, I'm not saying communion is bad. You see, they do that. Even the Jews today, on their weekly Sabbath, have what we would pretty much consider communion. They do the same thing they do at Passover. They take the bread. They even say the same blessing over the bread. They break it. They take the, the, the wine or the, the fruit of the vine, and they do the same blessing. The same thing they do at Passover, they do every week. They just don't have the Passover lamb. They don't have the four cups. They don't have all the other stuff. They don't recount the Exodus. But they still have the bread and the wine. We read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's communion. Not what we do. And So you can see that there's been some confusion in the church 
about the Word of God because we have culturally changed it because we didn't want to look Jewish or something like that. But anyway, the other thing is, remember, it will not find fulfillment until Elijah comes. Okay? Well, when it says here on the bottom, we see after taking the cup. Now, we know that the first cup is not mentioned in Scripture. It doesn't say anything about a cup here or there. Because there are two cups that are drunk before the meal at Passover, and there are two cups that are drunk after the meal at Passover. We don't see the first one being mentioned. We know it's there because everything else is there. It's just it's not mentioned. But the second cup is, it says, after taking the cup, the second cup, he gave thanks. Now, if I took you to a ball game and we sang the Star Spangled Banner, I don't have to come here and to explain to you that, hey, we went to a ball game yesterday and now we sang this and give all the words to the song, do I? If I say Star Spangled Banner, you know what was sung. Likewise, any Hebrew person who would pick up the Bible and read, after taking the cup he gave thanks, knew exactly what he said. He wasn't just spouting things off from the top of his head. There is a special blessing that they do when they take up the cup and when they break the body, the bread. It says this, Baruch atah Adonai Elohenu Melecha Alom Bore Prichagafen, which means this, Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. That's what Jesus said. When it says he gave thanks, it means he said, Baruch atah Adonai Elohenu Melecha, and it goes on. Then it says, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, I will not drink it again. You know what that means? That means he did not drink cup number three and cup number four after the meal. Not in the normal way anyway. He drank the first cup. Seems like he drank this second cup. but says, I will not drink this again until it finds fulfillment now in the kingdom of God. Now, what's very neat about this is when that blessing is, Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. What does that mean? Well, think about this. Part of this is that the fruit, we know fruit throughout Scripture is referred to the works that we do. But notice that God brings about the fruit in you. You see, remember the verse that God says that I am the vine and you are the branches? You see, the vine is needed to produce the branches which produce the fruit. In other words, blessed are you, God, who brings forth fruit in my life. You guys are incapable of doing good on your own. You need Jesus. And so when we take that cup, we are remembering and giving thanks that it is God that has prepared us and allows us to do any good work. It is Christ living in us. We can do all things through Christ who lives in us. And that's it, not on our own. Well, let's look at this second cup a little bit uh, deeper here. The second cup is introduced just before the main course of the meal. And then they have this great feast. And tonight you will see, it isn't just me standing up there talking. We're going to have a feast. We're going to celebrate. We'll visit with one another. We're going to relax. We're going to enjoy a meal together. That's part of it. In Matthew 26, verses 20 and 25, we see that clearly that this is Passover that's being celebrated. It says, When evening came, Passover is always celebrated in the evening, they were reclining at the table. They don't normally do that. It's at Passover that you recline at the table. And one of the four questions that we will talk about tonight, the kids say, Why on this night do we recline 
when all other nights we don't. So we know this is a special thing going on this evening. They were reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, so we know that the second cup has been served, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. Again, we see another Passover thing here. The one who has dipped... You see, they don't normally dip their food in the bowl. That's another one of the questions that they will ask at the Passovers. Why on all other nights we don't dip, but this time we dip twice? Which you'll understand more tonight. But, see, Judas was doing Passover. He was dipping his food into the bowl with me. He says, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born than Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. The second cup, the cup of deliverance and the cup of judgment. It's called both, the deliverance and judgment. Why? Well, because it's the judgment on Israel's enemies that they are delivered. You see, one of the interesting things about this cup is it's not quite full. Part of Passover is because you see a full cup represents joy and completeness, and this cup can't be full because our deliverance also meant judgment for others. You know what? There are many people in our society, maybe some of you sitting here today, who are under God's judgment yet because you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as your Redeemer. And there are many people who are going to perish because the Lord's judgment will be on them because God has to judge sin. And if they don't know Jesus, there's no redemption for that sin. And so this second cup, the cup of judgment, it is not an accident that it is this time that Judas, that Jesus chooses to pass judgment on Judas. Woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. During the cup of judgment, Judas is judged. Not an accident. It's all in God's timing here. Well, let's see what Luke says about this second and third cup. Pretty much the same thing, but I want to get you to see the full picture. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, the second cup, he gave thanks, Baruch Atah, and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. You know, I've known some people who choose not to drink wine today because they say, I'm not going to drink it again until I drink it with Jesus. That's when I will drink the fruit of the vine. In verse 19, it goes on, And he took bread and he gave thanks. Again, I don't need to you know, have it written down because I know what he said. This time it's a little different. Baruchatah Adonai Elohenu Melecha Alom Hamatai Lechem Min Haaretz, which means, Blessed are you, O Lord God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. You see, the bread was lifted up, it was broken, and we'll talk more about that tonight in more detail that the bread was broken as Jesus' body was broken. The bread was striped as his body was striped. The bread has holes in it, has 
His body was pierced. But it is also, it says, blessed are you, O Lord God, who brings this bread from the earth. Not only to give thanks to God for providing for us our daily bread physically, but also providing for us a resurrected bread of life. Jesus himself, in John 6, calls himself the bread of life. And it is that bread that was buried in the earth, in that grave, that was then raised to life and brought up out of the earth. And that's what this blessing is really all about. So, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, you see, two cups before, two cups after. After the supper, he took the cup, saying, so this is now cup number three. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. You see, the third cup is the cup of redemption. It is the cup of the new covenant which was given to you for the forgiveness of sins. Remember I said Jesus wouldn't drink that. Not in the normal way anyway. Before we look at that any further, let's go back to Matthew's account for this third cup to see the same thing. Okay? Then he took the cup, the third cup, he gave thanks, he offered it to them and saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, or this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Not here, in my Father's kingdom. Now, what I want you to notice is that the words that are used here are very similar to something used in the Old Testament at the same time of year around Passover. You see, Passover is a covenant that God made with us. That's why it's supposed to go on forever. It isn't over. It's going to find fulfillment in the future. But he's using the same language that Moses used when he ratified the covenant that God gave the Israelites at Mount Sinai. Let's look at this in Exodus chapter 24. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent the young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood, put it in bowls. The other half he sprinkled on the altar and he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the bread, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You see what happened here? God made a covenant with the the Israelites. He led them out of Egypt. Remember, he says, I'm about to let you know me at Passover, to yada me. And he leads them out into the wilderness. And then he makes a covenant with them. All these commandments. And the people are happy about it. Yes, we will do this. We will obey. And to ratify this covenant, Moses kills an animal. They make this offering to God. A blood covenant. It says there underlined, this is the blood of the new covenant. 
You see, this is very reminiscent of what, what was going on at Passover. Jesus is saying, he took the body, he broke it, he takes the, 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 the fruit of the vine, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. So, now if there's a new covenant, does this that mean that this covenant is now null and void? Not at all. You see... This is basically speaking of what we read about in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah, this is what Jeremiah spoke of. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That's what we just read about in Matthew and Luke. You see, it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because... They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. That's what we just read about there in Exodus chapter 12. We will do it! But they didn't do it. He says, no, he says, it won't be like that. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will, what? They will know me. They will yada me, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sin no more. You see, in the old covenant, we will do it, and they didn't. And then, therefore, the judgment of that law, the condemnation of that law, was upon them. But in the new covenant... We say, we will do it, and we don't do it. And he says, I will remember their sins no more. You see, it isn't really, the new covenant didn't make the old covenant null and void. The new covenant just put it from stone to a heart. Same laws, same commandments, just the condemnation has been removed, and now it's something that we want to do because we love Jesus. You see, this covenant, like in the Old Testament, was ratified with blood. The new covenant is better in being ratified with even better blood, the blood of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about with this third cup, the cup of redemption. And you see, guys, he said this new covenant, what would it allow you to do? To know God. Do you want to know God more? I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about that yada. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they knew God in the sense of God Almighty, that God had made a covenant with them. God has made a covenant with you. He has said, I forgive you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are forgiven. But some of you still don't know Yada, God. He says, you want to know me? You want to experience me in that personal relationship? He says, the answer lies in Passover. He says the answer lies in the new covenant. And Jeremiah tells you what that new covenant holds. He says, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will know me. If you want to know God, you can't just say that old covenant has been put away with and ignore the law of God. You need to put that law in your heart. And you have to desire and love it. You see, you read the Psalms. David said, I love the law. 
Go read Psalm 119. I love that psalm. You see, guys, we should love the law because it is who God is. The law is a reflection of God's character and His nature. And to hate the law is to hate God. Obedience is important. Yes, your sins are forgiven, but to know God, you need to obey Him. You see, that third cup, the cup of the new covenant that Jesus said, remember the I will statement? I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'm getting goosebumps up here even talking about this, guys. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That is the I will statement. And what does Jesus do? He redeems you with an outstretched arm. Remember after this, he says, I'm not going to drink it this way because I'm going to show you a different way that I'm going to fulfill this cup. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays to God and he says what? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. What cup is he talking about? The cup of redemption. The third cup of Passover. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And it was God's will that Jesus be put on that cross and redeem us with an outstretched arm. And God willingly, as the Lamb of God, as Isaiah prophesied and as Romans quotes it again, saying, as a sheep was led to the slaughter, He remained silent. He willingly laid His life down for you that you might be redeemed. That is the cup that He said, Lord, if You're willing, take it from me. You know what's fascinating to me is, as I was a kid, I always wondered this. At Easter time, what movie is always shown on television for years and years and years? The Ten Commandments. Did you ever think, why the Ten Commandments? That seems to be at odds with Easter. It seems to be two different themes, doesn't it? It isn't two different themes. You see, just as the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, and God says, because I rescued you from your enemy, and I judged your enemy, now here is my commandments. And Jesus likewise today says, because I have died on the cross, because I have redeemed you with an outstretched arm, Here are the commandments that I have now put on your heart. Here is my spirit. And here is Jesus Christ, the power of Him to be able to live in you so that you might do those things. Not for salvation, because you'll never be able to do it. But because you want to please me. Because you desire me. You're not working for your salvation when you're obeying God. You see, God is bringing us into our promised land. And He has ratified a new covenant for us. With His blood. It's just our experience is so much greater than theirs in the Old Testament because ours was not on st- or ours is on flesh, not on stone. Ours was redeemed with a better sacrifice, as Hebrews tells us. You see, the law today is in effect. It just does not condemn us. And the law is indeed very closely associated with our Passover or what many will do at Easter today. Which brings me to this point. Guys, you know when we do do communion, and even at Passover, why do they have the fruit of the vine and the body? I mean, it's the blood that brings forgiveness. Why do you need any more? Why do you have the little wafer? Why do they break the bread? If really all we need is to be forgiven. 
I believe the church has missed this. I think there are so many people who are happy being forgiven that they think that's all there is to Christianity is being forgiven. The blood. And they don't realize that the body is a, just as of importance. You see, it's the blood that justified you, made you right with God, that forgave you. But you know what? It's the body that sanctifies you, makes you more holy, obedience. I can show you this scripturally. Let's look at what Romans tells us in chapter 7, verses 4 through 5. So, my brothers, you also died to the law. Now, it doesn't mean the law was dead. You died to the law, meaning the condemnation of the law, through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. You see, it is the body that was broken so that you would die to the condemnation of the law, but now you would obey the law and bear fruit for God. Not for salvation, but to bear fruit, to live in obedience joyfully, without condemnation, even when you break that law. Hebrews 10.10 at the bottom says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Not made righteous, not made justified, but made holy. Again, you want to know God? You really want to know God? Then you need to examine yourself. Galatians gives us this good news. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Part of Passover, the day before Passover, last night, was the time to make sure that your house was clean of leaven. Leaven, as Pastor said here the other week, represents the sin and the flesh. False doctrine. And what he says is, uh, on Passover, Jesus tells you that the day before, you're supposed to get rid of all the leaven out of your house. And so one of the traditions that the men do, the leader of the house, the night before, will go and they, they look and the wife will have left some hidden leaven somewhere, some breadcrumbs or something somewhere. And the father is supposed to take the children, they go find this leaven, and they'll sweep it up with a feather onto a wooden spoon. They take that and they put it in a napkin. They take it out of their house and they burn it to symbolize for the children and really the adults that we are going to clean our house of leaven. We're going to get all sin out of here. Tell you what, it's hard. You know, Brett and I were talking here about you know, can we have fried chicken? Can, can we have some leaven there tonight? What if somebody brings some leaven? Is it okay? You know, we're not doing this legalistically. What we want you to see is that the whole point of this is that you are to be cleaning your house. And we start now this week the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which means that we will not be eating anything with yeast in it. And I've got to be honest with you, I don't look forward to it. It's kind of, I miss some of my food. But you know what we do? It's a great opportunity for, you know what? Sin is tough to get rid of in our lives sometimes. It's very difficult. But we do it because we want to sweep our houses, our physical bodies clean, because we want to know God more. That's why Jesus gave us His body. So that we might know Him more. And so that leaven is removed from the house. And if you want to get to know God more, that's what you need to do. Do you have pornography in your homes? Get rid of it. 
Are you watching movies that you shouldn't be watching? Get rid of them out of your house. Maybe, maybe there's other things in your house that are some kind of idol that you need to sweep out of your house this week and keep it out. That's what this is. It's a yearly reminder for us to be challenged to clean our house of leaven. See, Jesus broke His body that we might have our flesh cleansed. And in so doing, He exchanged us. He exchanged our identity from a sinner to a saint. I want you to understand something, guys. Jesus said that His body was the temple, right? He says, in three days you tear this thing down, you brazen it up again, and then later they realize He was talking about His body. Jesus was the temple. His body was the temple. You know, I got in trouble for saying this once because people just don't understand it, but it's so scriptural. Guys, you are no longer sinners. You're saints. Now, I'm not saying that you don't sin, verb. I'm saying you're not a sinner, noun. Your identity is not a sinner. When God looks at you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. He sees the blood of Jesus. You don't see any, to the saints and sinners in Rome, to the saints and sinners in Galatia, to the saints and sinners in Corinth. He says, to the saints in Galatia, to the saints in Rome, to the saints, saints, saints. You are a saint. Why? Because Jesus made you that way. Because of that new covenant. You may act like a goat sometimes, but you're a sheep acting like that goat. That's what Jesus has done for us. See, there's nothing too grand, too terrible that you guys have done. Maybe you've done some terrible sin. Okay? Maybe it's been drugs. Maybe, maybe you've been in prison. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's been unfaithfulness. Maybe it's been, been something even worse than I can even imagine. And you say, oh, Brian, if you only knew. It doesn't matter. God knows. And He says, I have taken your identity... And I have made you, because of the blood of Jesus, a saint. And now you are a sheep that sometimes acts like a goat. And I love you. But you're no longer a goat. And that's what we celebrate. Jesus' body, when He broke it for you, that was the temple that was being broken. And that is why when Jesus died on the cross, remember there was that curtain and that curtain was torn. Look, in 1 Corinthians 6.19, it tells us this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You see, not only is God's body a temple, because in so doing and carrying the curtain, He allowed you to become, the word for temple here is the most holy place. It's, it's, it's specific. It's not just like the whole temple area. It's the most holy place. That's who you have become because of Jesus and that curtain being torn. You are now the place in which God can reside. You know what the fourth cup was? I will take, you to be, take them to be my people. I will be their God and I will live with them. You see, that fourth cup is partially fulfilled right now in the sense that God now can live in you. Why? Because you're a sheep. Can God live in unholiness? You can't be a goat and Christ live in you, can you? Not at all. You have to be a sheep in order for God to live in you. 
And when that veil, it was that inner veil there that separated the holy place from the most holy place. That most holy place was a perfect cube in dimensions. And when Jesus died, that curtain was torn so that people had access to there. And you know what was in there? God's presence. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, the law was in there. Right there with the very mercy seat of God. And when that curtain was torn, He says, now you have access to come in and know Me. To come in and experience Me in ways that you never could before. Now guys, I want you to understand that the, the, the altar where the, the blood was poured out in all of this before is way out here. Before you even got into the holy place. In other words, you could go through the altar of Jesus and be forgiven, but never really get to know God. Never really get to experience Him in the way that He wants you to experience Him. Are you satisfied hanging out in this outer court? Or do you want to go in? Because Jesus' body is what prepared a way for you to do that. He says, I've taken away the condemnation of the law and now I have made you holy. I have given you my spirit to live in you because you are holy. And now you have the power to obey me. Not for forgiveness. I already took the condemnation away because you see those Israelites, they didn't obey and there was condemnation. You, you will not obey all the time. And there is righteousness and holiness because Jesus has forgiven you. That is part of what we're celebrating on Passover when that bread is being broken. We need to remember that veil that God has made a way for us into that. Now, I said it's only partially fulfilled in the sense that when we, the Lord comes back, we can read in Revelation that there is a new Jerusalem which comes out of heaven. It is a perfect cube. And it is where we will live with God in His presence. And I think you will be able to not, not sin. You, you'll, you'll not sin. It'll be wonderful. And that's why the, it's called the cup of the kingdom where He will live with us and we will live with Him. And that's what we look forward to as we celebrate this. Moving into His presence, not just now in the partial way with this flesh that we have, but fully in the kingdom of God someday. That's why He says, I won't drink again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, Hebrews tells us how we have that access. I've kind of described it, but I want to give you a scripture verse to support this. We have confidence. You don't need to live in guilt. You have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through what? The curtain. And what is that curtain? That is His body. His body that was broken for you. Guys, I'll tell you what. You know, I can go, one of my presentations that I give is called The Godly Family. And I can almost guarantee that before I have to go speak on The Godly Family, I will be the worst father you've ever seen to my kids. Because Satan wants me to feel guilt. He wants me to feel beat up. He wants me to feel unforgiven. He wants me to feel like I have to earn my righteousness and my holiness. And I have to be a good parent before I can talk about it. He wants to use the condemnation of that law. The law that was written on stone to make me feel guilty and condemned. 
I want you to understand something. I can still go with confidence and talk about God's Word because I know that it's all been covered and paid for. And I can just brush myself off and say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. It's not about me and, and how I behave because if it was, I'd never get to heaven. It's about Jesus and what He has done. And that's what these four cups are all about. It isn't about you. It isn't about what you have done. You see, you can't gain holiness by being good enough. You are given holiness because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Remember the fourth cup? The cup of the kingdom? Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16 says. For we are the temple. And again, that word in, in, in Greek is the most holy place of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. The I will statements of Exodus 6 ultimately are repeated here. And it's because of what Jesus has done at Passover. That fourth kingdom is partially fulfilled now as that spirit lives in you. But as I said, it will be fully fulfilled when he comes back. In order for God to be able to dwell in you, that veil, His body, had to be broken. So let's review these four cups. The cup of sanctification. We are brought out from the yoke of slavery. Guys, God saved you from your sin. Tonight, when we celebrate the Passover, it isn't an entertainment. It's not some horse you know, show for you to come and watch. I'm not there to entertain you tonight. What we are going to do is we're going to celebrate what God has done for us. We are going to worship God. The cup of judgment. We are freed from God's judgment of the enemy because God put that judgment that you deserved on Jesus instead on that cross. And so our exodus from sin, from the devil, from the flesh as God leads us into the promised land, is what we'll be celebrating with that second cup. But we also remember it's the cup of judgment upon the enemy. And there are many who are following that enemy today, which should give us as well an urgency to go out and spread the word and share the gospel with others. Because as Judas perished, there are many around you that are perishing. The cup of redemption. Okay? I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. That's exactly what Jesus did on that cross. In the cup of the kingdom, I will take you to be my people. That's what I look forward to in Revelation chapter 19. The wedding banquet of the Lamb, when we will be united with Christ in a new way in which we can't even imagine at this point. Where we will dwell with Him in heaven. Now in part, but later in full. And the last thing that they did in these four cups is they sing some songs. The fourth cup, at the end of that, they sing the Hallel, the last part of it, Psalm 116 through 18 usually. Remember Jesus didn't drink that fourth cup because he's going to drink it anew. But it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. When it says they sung a hymn here, I can tell you what they sang. They sang the Hallel. 
the end of the Passover meal, what they sang each time. And by the way, when they sung a hymn, there's a difference between a hymn and a spiritual song. The Bible talks about both. I think a spiritual song is probably more of those emotional kinds. A hymn is Scripture. And the Hallel is just right out of the Word of God. They're just singing the Psalms. And I think there is a difference. So as I said tonight, we're going to celebrate. It's not going to be a display, but we're going to worship God. We're going to look at His Word. And we're going to give thanks to a God who has redeemed us. Who has removed all condemnation and all judgment. Who has taken all of your sins and He has thrown them as far as the east is from the west. Who has said, you can't be good enough. I know you failed, but it's okay because you're a sheep that just acted like a goat. You're still a sheep. It doesn't change who you are. I changed who you are. Not you. And so... I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we'll close in prayer. And I hope that you uh, are able to come if you signed up here tonight. If not, if you didn't sign up and you're not going to be able to be there tonight, I hope that tonight maybe you'll go home and you'll remember that this is the night that you can give thanks to God for these four cups. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You have delivered us from the enemy, that you have passed judgment on the enemy, but that you have delivered us. God, I just pray that if there's anybody out here right now that has been struggling with sin, leaven in their lives, that you would just empower them and let them know that that it is your spirit who lives in them and your spirit who will cleanse that from their bodies, cleanse that from their homes, cleanse that from their lives. I pray, God, that If there's anybody who's feeling that condemnation of the law, feeling that they just can't stand up and and, and hold up to what, what it seems like the world is telling us Christianity demands, that you would just fill them with your love and let them know that what you demand was the blood of Jesus. And that's all. I just pray that they would be able to lay it down at the foot of the, the cross they can with confidence go into the most holy place and say thank you Jesus thank you for taking away my sin and thank you that you now call me yours so Lord we we praise you right now and thank you for being a God who saves a God who delivers a God who watches and a God who is returning in your holy name in the name of Yeshua Jesus we pray